Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. And we are discussing The Hobbit, um, the 1977 animated film. This is the one that a lot of us grew up with before the... um, live action films came out um not me but your 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 generation maybe yes i remember that i many times checked out the vhs from the library mm-hmm. and uh not to be a little gruesome but there was a dead uh grass spider like in the case and I never bothered to remove it not that it was technically my job to do so but in a weird way I find it kind of oddly fitting kind of murkwoody oh yeah that <laughs> that, that would be uh, if you don't know what a grass spider is they're big brown long legged kind of scary looking spiders if uh I actually do like spiders but those ones kind of freaked me out a little when I was yeah, just so you know, Sarah does have a couple as pets. I have tarantulas. Yes. So, this is, it's all animated. And now, this is the Rankin-Bass? It is the Rankin-Bass. Okay. Now, there is also a Ralph Bakshi version of Lord... Lord of the Rings, and then it goes back to Rankin-Bass for Return of the King, because um, Bakshi was going to do Return of the King, and then uh, the the deal got dropped for making any more with him, but uh, Rankin-Bass picked up again. And we will be doing those two eventually. Oh, the Bakshi one is going to be a pain to take notes on, but we will eventually do it. Well, this one was a bit of a pain for the note-taking, too, for you. Oh, the Bakshi one is going to be much rougher. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's about an hour and a half, a little less, and... I find that in some people find the animation style a little weird, and it is in sometimes, but I find that in some ways it is truer to the spirit of Tolkien and how I imagined it, like reading the books, especially as a kid mm-hmm. um compared with some other versions. Oh, that's a matter of opinion, but I still love it. And if you want to watch this film, it can be found on DVD um, after Warner Brothers bought the rights to it um, around the time of the live-action Hobbit coming out. Um, there was a, another DVD release, so it's pretty easy to find. And also, it is available on HBO. HBO or HBO Max? Or is that the, the They're thing? both owned by the same... Okay. I don't really know how many incarnations yes, of HBO I, are. I just watched it on HBO, and you have the DVDs. Yes, I don't believe that the other two animated are on HBO, though. Um, just this one. Mm-hmm. 
So it starts with opening the pages of a book, and it shows an illustration of the outside of Bag End. It's pretty. And um, it pretty much follows the book almost word for word with, you know, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. and um, yeah, I took screenshots because I, I love Bag End. Many ages ago when this ancient planet was not quite so ancient, Long before man recorded his histories, it was the time of Middle Earth, and there's a map of Middle Earth, um, the western part of Middle Earth being shown, when men shared his days with elves, dwarves, wizards, goblins, dragons, and hobbits. Okay, so it isn't quite word for word the book, but it, it feels like it. Yeah. And it shows, like, barren-looking, somewhat stylized mountains, and giving way to the green, sparsely wooded shire, and it shows the outside of Bag End, and this little round door, and the inside, you can see the furnishings, and the big stove, and the spoon collection. Now, you notice something about the door? It It looks looks like like an an eye, eye. which I think is... I don't know whether that's, like, a Sauronly reference or not. Now, this looks like a... that looks like a but door it, it knocker looks, in the center of the but door. But it looks like a pleasant eye, and I don't associate Sauron with Bag End, so... Right. And Bilbo's home is pretty much it is like how it was described in the book, and um, Bilbo himself is also drawn in kind of a stylized way. Um... Which is pretty typical with Rankin Bass. He's got a green uh, outfit on, and he's got his furry feet. But he's got a yellow outfit in that scene. Well, yeah. it part of it's kind of a yellowy. Some part of it's like a yellow green. Part of it's green. Um, his hair is a fiery red, I would say, or an orangish red, or reddish brown. Reddish brown, know. curly. And he's got the same on his feet. I love that they included his spoon collection, the one that Lobelia likes to uh, borrow from. Yeah. And he's got a big collection of... Uh, There's a spoon collection. Oh, and yeah, I can see he's got garlic strings hanging from the roof. Yep. And got pottery. Big collection of pipes. And the pipe he uses... It's this really long thing that's almost as long as he is tall. And it has a sort of attachment. I don't know a ton about pipes. Well, it's got a long, I don't know, stem mouthpiece part, and then this wooden thing that comes down almost looking weapon-like at the bottom, and then there's something attached at the top of the wooden thing, I don't know. I, I'd like to see it in real life. I know this is just an artist drawing, but... It seems like something somebody could make, though. Yeah, but it's a style that I haven't seen elsewhere. But he can grow, blow uh, great smoke rings from it. And so he's outside blowing smoke rings... And Gandalf arrives, and he's all wearing, like, greys and blues, and he carries a staff, and he's got a very long white beard, and his eyebrows 
forehead hair, whatever he's got going on there, is very wild, and it is technically sticking out further than his hat, but that's because his hat doesn't have much of a brim. I do have to say something about his beard, and it's very thick and fluffy, and it's braided. It's a very loose, full braiding. Oh, if I had a Gandalfly beard, I'd braid it. Yeah, I think it's very cool. And he says he's looking for a burglar, and Bilbo, he tells him he's come to the wrong place. And Gandalf is like, oh, you don't want to share in a grand adventure? And Bilbo's hobbits are playing quiet folk. Adventures make one late for dinner. And uh, Gandalf uses Bilbo Baggins and lightning flashes. Enough, I'm Gandalf, and Gandalf means me. And then the Misty Mountain song begins to play in the background. So no, none of them are singing it. It's just like a background chorus. Um, the music is by Glenn Yarbrough, um, who is um, behind... And there is a lot of music in yes. this. Which is wonderful, I think. I mean, I'm not giving you the full lyrics to every song, but um, it tends to be pretty close to what's in the book, but slightly changed. And you can find um, the different songs on YouTube. There's a one YouTube channel that is still active at the time of recording called Glenn Returns, Glenn with two ends and no space in between that has um, the soundtrack from the film and one song that was not included that I think was recorded for it that they decided not to use. And the songs are also available in various, you know, clips from the film on YouTube. And you can get the record um, used copies um, online at places like eBay, and but you're going to spend yeah not 80 cheap but maybe a hundred worthwhile to a serious uh, Tolkien collector. And the picture on the front, well, it's similar to what's the animation in the film, but they made Smog green. I mean, not to drop a spoiler, but Smog is not green at any time in this film. You know, in the book, he's a red golden dragon, and they went with that. And uh, the color scheme of the dwarves' hoods is a little different, but it it still looks like art from the film. I think that's what we had, and that is a 45, which is the small record for people who aren't acquainted with records so much, but I believe that's a forty-five, and it's um, it came with a booklet, so it was kind of like a a mini version of the Hobbit. Oh wow! And Bilbo in that picture—he almost looks like some sort of little frog hamster man. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> And, um, so the Misty Mountain song starts to play in the background, and 
you know, Bilbo is Gandalf, not the wandering wizard, and dwarves just show up from behind bushes and tussocks and introduce themselves and offer their service. And all the dwarves look old, yes, even Feely and Keely, they got blonde hair, but, um, they're still not really younger looking. Yeah. And they skip the whole introduction thing where they keep going into Bilbo's house and ordering food and Bilbo's getting all freaked out by it. It's just not done that way at all. Right. And they do have the colored hoods just like in the book where it says, oh, this dwarf has a green hood and this dwarf got blue hoods and Thorin's got a blue hood with a tassel. They've They've got that. Oh, did you mention how they appear in age? Yeah, so they all look old. Yeah, like even Keely and Feely look old. Their their beards aren't gray yet, but otherwise. And not even just old, old. They all look like very weathered old. Like you know, the years hadn't been kind to their faces, um, but. I think it it portrays uh, men who have spent their lives in the outdoors or in, in, you know, just living a harder life. Which, to some degree, they did. Yeah. I mean, Thorin had to work as a blacksmith in a human town to make ends meet, which, you know, should... Probably wouldn't have weathered him that much, but, you know, he's technically king and he's having to do that. Yeah. And next thing you know, they're all feasting in Bilbo's house and the that's what Bilbo Baggins hates song starts and it's pretty similar to the book. And the dwarves eat, and they do the dishes, and uh, Bilbo's not so happy with how they're handling his plates. Now that song, I'm sure it is on YouTube somewhere, but it is not included in the Glen Returns channel. Mm. Uh, If you ever want to hear Tolkien singing that song himself, you can find that on YouTube. Wow. That would be something that should be preserved. Yeah. And Bilbo's just wondering what dwarves want in Hobbiton. Well, they've come for tea, and they've come for supper. And for you, Burglar Baggins. And the Misty Mountain song begins again in the background. And I guess they're in Bilbo's living room or den, however you want to put it. And you can see a picture on the wall of a hobbit with a handlebar mustache, which hobbits are not supposed to be capable of even growing, but there you go. And I wonder if that's Bilbo's father, Bungo Baggins. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe that's Bulroar Took. Well, did Bilbo's father have Bag End before Bilbo? Yeah. Okay, well then it probably would make sense. You know, hadn't thought about that, how Bag End, you know, started. Um, it was something that uh, 
Bilbo's father Bungo had had made, and he and um, Belladonna Took lived there. And you see the dwarves playing instruments, and Gandalf is blowing smoke rings. And uh, there is a magic in their music, Bilbo is saying, and it moves through me. And Gandalf is, you know, suggesting along, you feel the love of beautiful things. It's, and Bilbo is like, yes, to go and see the great mountains and hear the pine trees and waterfalls. And Gandalf finishes for him and wear a sword instead of a walking stick. Bilbo, just once. So the music is making him feel that he he wants to go adventuring, even if maybe he's reluctant. Well, he's a hobbit. He is a Therefore, hobbit. Therefore, the adventuring is something you'd be very reluctant to do and most wouldn't do. Although it has been noted in other writing by Tolkien that Bilbo was already into some, like, adventure-adjacent activities, you know, long walks in the Shire, and... Yeah. So he had some tendencies, but he wasn't ready to just go up and have a real adventure. Right. Um, you may shortly hear Nim the dog, uh, because she's outside the door... But, uh. So, uh, Bilbo. Oh, Thorne has called the meeting and he's referring to Bilbo as burglar baggins. And Bilbo was totally confused by this and asked what this burglar business is. And uh, Gandalf says if he prefers, he can say expert treasure hunter. And Bilbo uh, does prefer that. And Thorne does a toast to Bilbo. May the hair on his toes never fall out. Imagine saying that to someone. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but if you see, if you see, the pictures from this, the toes are the only part that doesn't have any hair. <laughs> no, I think it's like a variant on the dwarven. Oh, may his beard, you know, whatever. Right. Dwarves are probably like hobbits. Yeah, foot hair. That's their uh, thing. Like beards are our thing. Let's uh, bless his toe hair. <laughs> <laughs> Thorne explains their purpose it's about the treasure in the lonely mountain and um, this it actually shows the story of how Smog came it shows the dwarf kingdom in the time of Thorne's grandfather Thor the king and the dwarves laughing and it's meant to be merry but it feels a little weird and creepy yeah and the lyrics of the Misty Mountain song are used to explain, you know, the dwarves' story, how they're shown mining, the treasures they made, and the dragon's flame burning the trees and houses and frightening horses and men and dwarves. It's destroying Dale, it's destroying the Lonely Mountain. But Smog himself isn't shown, just his shadow. The dwarves, uh, after this is done, they call curses on Smog. And when Bilbo finds out what this is actually about, that they're going to be reclaiming treasure from a dragon, he squeaks and like nearly swoons. 
And uh, then they have a look at the contract, and the screen, like, focuses in extra on when it says funeral expenses. Yeah. Um, Thorn asks Bilbo if he finds the terms acceptable, and Gandalf uh, interrupts Bilbo, who's clearly hesitant with, of course he does. Tomorrow the adventure begins, and the greatest adventure song, which... It's not in the book in any way, but it is one of the more famous parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, begins as the dwarves and Gandalf they fall asleep with the song, you know, playing in the background. The dwarves are sleeping in the living room or main tunnel, and Bilbo is in his own little room. And it's it's cute. I like his room. And Bilbo wakes up to go look at the moon, and then he goes back to bed, and he dreams of himself as a king of the dwarves. And wakes up having overslept, and the dwarves are already out and ready. Well, that Greatest Adventure song was written by Maury Laws, by the way. also known as the Ballad of the Hobbit. And uh, the theme of the song is basically it's about going out and meeting adventure instead of just letting it pass you by. You know, the chances, the changes are all yours to make the mold of your life is in your hands to break. And it contains a, a kind of ironic lyric. A man who's a dreamer and never takes leave, who thinks of a world that is just make-believe, will never know passion, will never know pain, who sits by the window, will one day see rain, which is a really ironic pointed lyric to direct to a bunch of fantasy fans. Yeah. Although I think the intent is that the real world is make-believe to somebody who just never adventures at all. It's just right. theoretical. I I should point out that when I said Maury Laws wrote it, he wrote the music, and Bass wrote the lyrics, and then Glenn, Glenn Yarborough sang it. And um, throughout the film, like a bar or two of this song will play in the background at certain um, important moments. So next, they begin their journey. They only have two ponies, um, which are being used for baggage, and Bilbo did not bring his hat pipe or pocket handkerchief. And Gandalf go- comes and, he- and goes when he wants. So he's not always there with them, and now they have bad weather. Bother burgling and everything to do with it, and Bilbo was thinking of food in his garden which he will do a lot of. Right. And they plan to camp, but the lookout sees trolls, and Gandalf is gone again. The trolls are sort of fairly humanoid, but they do have a large beak-like noses and really big ears and tusks like an elephant. I Maybe not full length like an elephant, but they're like sticking out like above the mouth instead yeah, of... Yeah, it looks like... A- but it looked like one had those, but I couldn't tell that the others had those tusks. And one of them has an eye patch. And Thorin wants Bilbo to go and burgle some of the meat the trolls are cooking, and just pushes him into the trolls' clearing. 
The trolls are complaining that they have nothing but mutton to eat and they're longing for some man flesh. Well, good to know that what they're cooking isn't man flesh. I mean, who wants to take meat that a troll has? Well, they are hungry, but... It seems to me that when they notice Bilbo, Bilbo very quickly sells out the others, even mentioning that they exist. Yeah, a troll notices Bilbo, picks him up by the leg, and they don't know what he is, but they suggest cooking him to find out. Uh, but he wouldn't make more than a mouthful, but maybe there are more of them where he came from, and Bilbo calls for the dwarves to run, and he's trying to help, but he just... He just let the trolls know there are more. Right. And if I were the others, I would have been watching the whole thing and known Bilbo had been caught. But yeah, he he kind of gives them away. He gets dropped. So... They go, they, they, I don't know why they dropped him, but they dropped him. Well, and trolls they go are after very the stupid. Others. Yeah, they go after the others. So Bilbo is the one who is not the prisoner. Well, yeah, they're searching around in the bushes, and Bilbo goes to hide in a cave. Unlike in the book, the cave is open and um, doesn't have to be unlocked. And soon the dwarves are all tied in sacks and piled up, and the trolls debate how best to cook the dwarves. Um, I think one mentioned the Roasted, boiled, raw. (sighs) And then Gandalf arrives with his staff raised. Dawn, take you all and be stoned to you. And it seems that Gandalf had made the dawn come quicker than it would have. Right. And um, because the trolls say the sun blasted, how did the morning come so soon? We're done for. And they turn the stone and birds just arrive and start singing. And then... Um, now I have a question. Do they remain stone forever? Yes, Frodo and uh, the others find the same stone trolls later when they're journeying. Kind of rough being a troll. (laughs) That's a tough one. I could see, oh, you turn to stone and then come nightfall, you're not a stone anymore. But nope. They're a stone. And Bilbo calls the others to look at the treasure he found in the cave. When they find some treasure coins, and besides the treasure, they find swords. And Thorin thinks that they are beautifully fine blades, considering they were made by trolls. Now, this version of Thorin seems a bit less smart and uh, less wise in matters that he should know about. Like, he should know full well that he is not looking at troll blades, and he should probably recognize that they're elven, too. He is you know, a dwarven smith. Right. He should know his stuff. And Gandalf doesn't think they were made by trolls, and they were probably stolen, which is true. And they have runes, ancient writing on the hilts, that Gandalf can't make out. And Bilbo also claims a uh, quote-unquote sword. It's really a long dagger, but it fits one his size. 
and they bury the treasure to come back for it later. And Gandalf brings out a map of the Lonely Mountain and to give to Thorne. It was presented by Thorne's father a hundred years ago, and Thorne questioned why it hadn't come to him, the rightful heir, which is fair enough. Right. And uh, Gandalf said he was uh, waiting for the right time, and um, Bilbo says he loves maps, he has quite a collection, and Thorin, he knows the mountain, he doesn't need the map, and Gandalf says, well, how do you propose to enter the mountain? And the map has a pointed finger and runes indicating a secret door. It's drawn to look like the one in the book. Right. And Thorin also is presented with the key. And they question if the hidden door is still secret. And uh, Bilbo points out the map doesn't actually say how to find the door. But Gandalf says that it does, and it doesn't, and he will see in time. Um, Rivendell is shown with uh, the misty mountains in the background. And they arrive at the hidden valley. Um, the song down in the valley, Ha Ha, begins. Um, and it's only slightly changed from the book. And they get to the last homely house, and it actually looks like a house. Other versions of Rivendell are shown in films. They make it look like a palace. This actually looks like a homely house in some way. Um, on the inside... Um, it looks like a church. It's got stained glass windows, and the dwarves are seated around a long table with Elrond. And Elrond, he's tall, he's older looking, he's got pointed ears and a beard, and he's got a circle thing around his head of shining stars. Now, Elrond is half-elf, so I guess the idea is the the age and the beard come from his human side, although you'll later get to see how elves are portrayed in this. But no, I don't think that Elrond really looked that much older looking, and I doubt if he was capable of growing a beard, considering even a little bit of health in the family tree apparently makes beard growing generally not a thing for generations later. Yeah. Although that uh, bit of information came from a very uh, recently published uh, Tolkien thing, so I wouldn't expect that to impact this film. Now, a question about Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, does he expand <coughs> on um, the backstories of characters like Elrond? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's more about Elrond in both you know, the main Lord of the Rings and in the Silmarillion. Um, the book The Hobbit just says that he has you know, both you know, men of the north and um, elves as his ancestors. Yeah. They don't show any other Rivendell elves, so we don't know what they would have looked like. And once again, we will see some elves later, and how they're portrayed is uh, interesting. Yes, very interesting. Elrond identifies the swords that they're not troll made, that they were stolen, and that they made for the Goblin Wars. 
their Orcrus, the Goblin Cleaver, and Glamdring, the Foe Hammer. And the map has moon letters, which are runes that can be only read when the moon shines behind them. And they give directions to the secret door. Stand by the grey stone where the thrush knocks, and the last light of the setting sun will shine on the keyhole. Um, next you see Bilbo and the dwarves journeying on through the misty mountains, the very barren, rocky, steep path with a precipice drop off on one side, and of course there's a heavy rainstorm going on. Perfect time to be in the mountains high up, right? Right. Uh, they don't show any kind of, uh, giants. So that part was left out. Yeah. And Thorin finds a dry cave to shelter in. Um, in the book it was Feely and Keely who found it. Right. And they build a fire inside the cave and go to sleep and Bilbo has a nightmare about dwarves washing his dishes. <laughs> and he wakes up and he notices that Gandalf is gone again. He's annoyed says, I wish I was a wizard. No, Bilbo, no you don't. Wizards have responsibilities. Right. Uh, and bigger than he has, so. Right. And he then sees a crack opening in the wall of the cave and the ponies being dragged inside. And he shouts to warn the dwarves, but they are still all captured. Um, it's all goblins. And, um, the infamous Down Down to Goblin Town song, very slightly changed from the book. You know, down, down to Goblin Town, down, down to Goblin Town, that one, yes. That is a good song. <laughs> and the goblins are frog-like, almost. They've got enormous horns, enormous jutting fangs, giant mouths. The design almost looks like they have two throats. It, It's not, it's just their, uh... What is their, their tonsils and their uvula. It, it's... Weird looking. And they have kind of like gray skin. Yeah, the gray skin is really um, kind of creepy. Uh, Bill and I jokes that they're, they're frog orcs. Mm. Frogs! <laughs> <laughs> um, now I should say goblins and orcs are the same species. They're just different names for the same... Oh. Okay. Now, I have seen Goblin kind of used more toward the smaller, um, like, mountain variety, and Orcs toward, you know, the big ones like the Uruk-hai, although I think to some degree that's more of, like, a fan usage thing than strictly canon. And also Goblins, that's what the Hobbit calls them. And Orc is, you know, language from elsewhere in Middle-earth. Right. And the ones that the Hobbit knew were the ones from the Misty Mountains. Right. They're brought before the Great Goblin in a spacious cavern with a, a fire, and um, <coughs> Thorin says to the Great Goblin, Thorin at your service. Which seems very uh, unThorin-like. Uh, toward an Orc, anyway. And says he didn't mean to trespass, and he was only seeking shelter from the storm. And then one of the goblins notices and recognizes Orcrist. And the great goblin is enraged, murderers, elf friends, and he's ready to just bite Thorin's head. 
And then there's a flash of light from a sword, and there's a weird special effect with, like, sparkles on the screen. And they recognize Glamdring, the foe hammer, and the great goblin is killed totally bloodlessly. Uh, but you see his spirit, like, whirl away, uh, not leaving a body behind. Which, yeah, it's just kind of going off into the sky sort of thing. Um, at least until later in the film, that's how they portrayed death as, like, oh... You see the weapon move, but you don't see it actually hit, and then you see them whirling away. Which, I guess, you know, keeps the violence levels down for the intended, you know, age it's meant for. Right. Gandalf has come, and the dwarves and hobbits, they <coughs> hobbit, they throw off their chains, and they follow Gandalf down the tunnel. The goblins chase, and Bilbo falls into a hole and is lost. Yeah, he just falls and falls and falls and falls and falls. Yeah, he would have uh, not survived that. Or at least he would have been hurt, but he wasn't. Um, Gollum's lake is shown, and there's a little uh, island in the middle, and Gollum is there fishing, and he looks like a sort of drab green frog person. Yeah, he looks very frog-like. Very frog-like, and he's got a little hair in his head, big eyes, green pupils, he's also got like a little... Uh, it looks like hair, maybe it's supposed to be... Nothing Gollum's wearing looks like clothing to me, but... no. He looks like he's got a little cut of hair stuff like on his hind end, like a little tail almost. Um, I know it is um, confirmed in Fellowship of the Ring that Gollum is related to hobbits, but nothing about him looks related to a hobbit in any way here. And he's closer to what... Oh, granted, I started watching this film like pretty soon after reading the book, like, as a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm not even... I'm not 100% sure whether I'd finish the end of the book first or not. But... <laughs> yeah, the column I imagined looked like a weird, skinny, frog... strange... thing, and not like a hobbit in any way, in my imagination. You know, when I read it. Right. Um, he, he catches a very concerned-looking fish with his hand. Um, food for my precious. Meanwhile, Bilbo is going on about food from home when he just splashes into the end, edge of Gollum's lake, and Gollum hears the splash. Um, Gollum has a little uh, hut that he lives in. And we'll get more about that later. There's a lot of my preciousing from him, and he hears Bilbo at the lake shore reminiscing about Shire food. So he gets into a little boat and paddles with his hands to investigate. And that's when Bilbo uh, finds the ring, just on the floor of the tunnel. And it has the swirling patterns on the outside, but none of it is recognizable as the Elvish script or as writing at all. Yeah. And he's a nice souvenir to show the neighbors back home, and he pulls out his sword before noticing Gollum. And Bilbo asks Gollum who he is. A tasty morsel it would make us. What is it, my precious? And Bilbo gives his name Bilbo Baggins, 
and he says that he's lost his dwarves, his wizard, and his way. So he gave, just gave his real name to a weird, freaky cave creature he met. And then he calmly says he's armed with an elvish blade as Gollum starts to creep slowly closer. Like, Bilbo's very calm about being threatened by this weird cave frog thing. And Gollum recoils at the side of the sword. He asks Gollum about the way out. And Gollum suggests perhaps we chat with it a bitsy. It likes riddles? Um, Gollum, he proposes the riddle game. If Bilbo loses, we eat it, my precious. Bilbo's reaction, oh, I say. If Bilbo wins, Gollum will show him the way out. And Bilbo seems that he has no choice. But all of this is just surprisingly calm on Bilbo's part. There is no way I could be that calm if I was alone in an unknown cave being threatened by some creature that wants to eat me. And Bilbo's just really calm about it. And um, Gollum goes first with the riddles. Voiceless it cries, wingless flutters, toothless bites, mouthless mutters. Uh, should I give the answer? Yeah. It is wind. Now, Bilbo mm. doesn't guess right away. And Gollum gets in his personal space. Is it gooey, yummy, <laughs> scrumptious? It almost sounded like he said yucky, but... Mm-hmm. And Bilbo has to threaten Gollum again with a sword to make him back off, but he correctly guesses wind. And next, um, Bilbo asks, A box without hinges, key or lid, yet golden treasure inside is hid. Now the answer, egg. And in the book, Gollum... Especially these days. Oh yeah, they're expensive. Yes. In the book, Gollum was very confused by this and really upset and took a long time to guess, but he got it pretty quick here. And the next riddle is given in song form, not in Gollum's voice. It's a um, woman's voice, it sounds like. In the background, it cannot be seen, cannot be heard, cannot be felt, cannot be smelled. It lies behind stars and under hills and empty holes it fills. It comes first and follows after. Ends life, kills laughter. And then the song continues. The answer is dark. The dark, dark. And uh, the scene gives you this panorama of the cave and the passages and the cave formations which actually look pretty realistic. I mean, of the caves I've been inside, like the kind of rock formations they would have. And you see a skeleton from what I'm assuming is an orc or a goblin. <laughs> it's got a large head, a toothy fangs mouth, and large cow-looking horns. <laughs> I think it's a goblin skeleton. Sounds like it. And most uh. likely Gollum probably was the one who killed it. And then uh, 
Gollum has a go. This thing, all things, devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. And Bilbo is having a lot of trouble with that, and Gollum is getting threatened again and again, and Bilbo says, give me some time. And Gollum mishears, you know, what does it say? And Bilbo says that he had said time, time, which was the answer. It is true. Time does all of these things. And Gollum is so angry that his eye pupils turn white. And Bilbo uh, asks him about the way out again. And uh, Gollum wants him to ask another riddle. And um, in the DVD version, there's a soundtrack issue where... That makes it repeat, oh, blast, I can't think of another one. And Gollum saying, ask, ask. This is corrected on the HBO version. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of other times in the film I will take note of that it happens. Yeah. And Bilbo reaches into his pocket and he feels the ring. What have I got in my pocket? Not fair, not fair to ask, my precious. What it's got in its nasty little pockets, it says... And Bilbo says that he has to guess, and if he loses, Gollum has to show him the way out. And after moaning a bit, Gollum says that first he has to show something pretty, his birthday present, and he goes back in his little boat. So Gollum never actually tries to ask like he did in the book. Mm-hmm. And Bilbo is confused by this. And Gollum is talking about to himself about a golden ring, a magic ring. And he returns to his little house on the island. And we were discussing like what it was, whether it was made from an old tree stump, or if it was just rock formation with a hole in it. Um, or was it some kind of cloth or hide tent? I'm leaning toward it being a tent, especially with a closer up on... But, but it, it looked like there was some kind of ragged kind of hanging type thing which wouldn't be a rock but it, it's it's a gray right so he goes through his meager belongings frantically and he flips out when he can't find the ring meanwhile bilbo has removed it from his pocket and gollum remembers we wears it before and we drops it on the shore and he realizes bilbo has it and he hurries back to the shore and bilbo slips on the ring and turns invisible Bilbo, as invisible, he's still on the screen, but it's as if he's transparent. You can see the background through him. Right. And Bilbo only seems mildly surprised by this. Bless my soul. And he takes it off and reappears, and then he uh, puts it back on again, and he turns invisible again. So he quickly figures... He quickly figures out that it was the ring that does this. Right. And Gollum is rowing to shore and going on about crushing and smashing the baggins. And Bilbo puts away his shining sword so he can be fully invisible because the sword is not invisible at the same time he is. Right. So clothing becomes invisible, but things he's holding don't. Right. And then Gollum thinks Bilbo has already left. It knows the way in. It must know the way out. 
And so he's thinking Bilbo has gone to the back door, as um, Gollum calls it. So Gollum goes ahead to head him off. And Bilbo, he puts on his wing and follows Gollum to this back door. And he jumps over Gollum in the exit passage, which doesn't have as much of a dramatic as it does in the book. It doesn't have Bilbo trying to decide whether he should kill Gollum to go out and deciding against it. He just leaps. Right. And Gollum must have noticed him like passing overhead or felt something. Thief Baggins, we hates it, hates it forever. And Bilbo reunites with the dwarves on the outside. They had to fight their way through the goblins to get out, and they want to know how Bilbo managed it. And Bilbo is evasive. The art of burgling is about being unobtrusive, invisible, so to say. And Gandalf responses. Your story has the ring of truth. Yes, it rings truth. Let us speak of this no more. So, Gandalf Gandalf knows. He absolutely knows. Uh, No explanation of how he knows, but he does. But they still have to move on because there are still goblins. But they are through the mountains, and the sun is setting in the west on the other side of the mountains. They are in the land beyond. And the art shows foothills and sparse shrubs and pine trees near Wolf Hall. The goblins have arrived riding wargs. Now, uh, I mean, you're listening to a Hobbit podcast. You may or may not already know what a warg is. Evil giant wolves. Right. Allied with the goblins. And these actually look like wolves. I like that. Other wargs and things, they look like Antelodonts or Hyenodon or otherwise just kind of off. These look like big wolves. Um, the 15 birds in five fur trees and uh, burn, burn tree and fern song begins. But they're not much changed from the book, but they're merged together into one song. And it's called Funny Little Things on the soundtrack. The goblins have torches, and the dwarves go up the trees to escape. Bilbo can't climb, and Dory has to help him. Yeah, he he's definitely... That's the moment on the adventure where I would have been gotten. I can't climb a tree without very low branches. <laughs> well, the low branch was too high for Bilbo. Gandalf is lighting pine cones, which have a lightning-y effect when they hit the wolves. Uh, in the book, I had the impression that it was some kind of Gandalf Lee fireworks pyrotechnic thing, making it burn more, but this makes it look like lightning. Right. And the trees are starting to burn, and just when they can't go any higher, Gandalf goes to the very top of the tree, and a flock of eagles come and carry them away. And Bilbo was not grabbed by an eagle. He's holding onto Dory's ankles, which is not comfortable for either of them, and it, Bilbo thinks the eagles are going to drop them to their deaths, but they don't. They carry them all the way across the plains and the Anduin River, or as they call it in the movie, the River of Wilderland. To be fair, it is never identified as the Anduin in the book. Right. As a Lord of the Rings reader, I know it's the Anduin, but this isn't Lord of the Rings, it's The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And they go all the way to the edge of Mirkwood Forest, and Bilbo thinks the eagles are still intending to dash them against the rocks. But they're set down safely. 
Um, the part in the book where they stay in the Eagle's Eyrie is omitted. So is the entire part of Bjorn, the bear um, shapeshifter. And the edge of Mirkwood shows dense, but still like, recognizably normal trees. You know, look like deciduous and pine. Right. Some old growth forest. Nothing uh, evil looking going on. The Lord of the Eagles has a sort of a feather crest on his head, and he looks like a harpy eagle. Um, if you don't know what that is, very large eagle native to South America that's um, famous for carrying off monkeys. Wow. Not that that's necessarily the realistic kind of eagle for that to be. It's more likely a golden eagle, but made, you know, bigger because it's, you know, a special... You know, Tolkien eagle, right? Right. Uh, if you want me to get really technical, the eagles are um, actually beings that serve the Valar Manwe, so they are special. And bigger than they would be. Yeah, they, they were carrying everybody in their talons. But he, even without them being... You know, especially, you know, something different. Re- real golden eagles are pretty uh, intense birds. Um, yeah. There's some uh, real videos and photo of the b- size of prey they're carrying off. They probably could not carry off an entire dwarf, but... Yeah. Um, they are very strong birds. Gandalf thanks him for rescuing them, and the eagle says he has not forgotten Gandalf healing him from an arrow wound. And then it appears that it's the eagle who says this. Farewell wherever you fare till your iris receive you at your journey's end. Um, that, I think that was uh, Thorin's speech in the book. And the eagles fly away, and Thorin remarks about the forest being terrible and dangerous, and Gandalf tells them to use the map and don't leave the path, or they won't get out of Mirkwood again. And Gandalf won't be going with them, as he has pressing business away south. Which is not going to come into this, but it's um, the White Council with the wizards, and they're going to be driving um, the necromancer who is Sauron out of Mirkwood, but none of that comes into this film. Right. Just, if you want to know what his pressing business away south was. The dwarves are dismayed, and Gandalf says he's already late because of bothering with you people. Wow, Gandalf. Blunt much? (laughs) He's sending Mr. Baggins with them. That should be enough. And nobody's happy about this. Bilbo says he's no equal to a wizard. Gandalf says, nonsense, you are the lucky number, and soon you will know there is more about you than you guess. And uh, a line plays from the greatest adventure song, The Chances, The Changes, Are All Yours to Make. And Gandalf tells Bilbo he will be a surrogate, or replacement, so to say, and he's to keep a log of his journey so Gandalf can look at it after and point out his mistakes. Ah. Mm. (laughs) That's kind of petty, Gandalf. And another bar from the song, the mold of your life is in your hands to break. And they're in the forest, it's dark inside, there's very dense tree trunks, and weird kind of stony looking, we think that they're mushrooms? Yeah, they they 
definitely looked like mushrooms, but yeah, the whole effect of the art style kind of did make them look stonish. And Bilbo is keeping his log as instructed, and he intends to use it as the base for his memoirs. There and back again, A Hobbit's Holiday. Which, you know, later, you know, that's supposed to be the book, The Hobbit. The road song begins, similar to the book. And I I love this song. And there's a view of traveling through the woods. One of the trees looks like it's got a mean face. Which yeah. I'm sure was just an artist having fun, but yeah. knowing Lord of the Rings and knowing that Ents are a thing and that there are also um, fully uh, sentient trees and some of them are not friendly, hey, maybe they got one of those. But it, I think... <laughs> It's a stylistic thing. It's a stylistic thing, but it adds to the gloominess and, you know, the foreboding whatever of Markwood. They're seen camping around a fire, and the days are terrible, and the nights are impossible, and they are hungry and thirsty, and the berries that grow here are hideous. The berries detail is not in the book. Um, and I tried to look at the berry to see if I could identify it. It wasn't that detailed. It was a little red berry, some kind of leaves. Yeah, I would highly recommend... Don't eat any plants you don't know. I'm. And I would highly recommend especially don't eat any berries that taste hideous because that is a greatly increased chance they're poison. Right. Uh, you see glowing eyes of animals, weird noises, and they decide that someone should climb a tree to look around. And someone means Bilbo. It always means Bilbo. Which uh, is funny, because he's the one that couldn't actually get up into the tree. tree before. Yeah. And Bilbo decided that he had to do it because his contract was vague on several points. And there's just treetops as far as he could see in all directions, no end to it. Um, in the book, it's noted that he actually is fairly close to the edge of the forest, but there's a dip in the land that makes it look more. Right. <clears throat> there's black butterflies everywhere. Now, Tolkien in the book compared these to purple emperors, which I looked up some pictures of online. They are purple. But the design here is closer to swallowtails. Yeah. And, oh, I don't know how many people remember Farmville, the Facebook game. But I played Farmville, the original Farmville, before uh, they changed it, and I lost my farm and the cool stuff I had there, which I wasn't happy about. But... I tried to recreate Mirkwood on there. I planted fruit trees as close together as I could, and I put butterfly trellises in the middle so the butterflies would stick out uh, above the treetops. Mm-hmm. And I put the Halloween spider webs on and didn't take them down when Halloween was over, and I liked the effect. It Yeah. It looked Mirkwoody. Yeah, and it's... Uh, and Bilbo was thinking to himself, you know, there are moments that can change a person for all time, 
and I suddenly wondered if I would ever see my snug hobbit hole again. I wondered if I actually wanted to, which is, you know, a whoa thought for Bilbo. Right. Home-loving Bilbo. Yeah. Um, Now, the entire incident with the Enchanted River is omitted, as it is in almost every adaptation there is. Yeah. They do keep it in the extended version of the live action, the mm-hmm. newer live action. And there's some version of it in the Lotro game. I haven't found it yet, but I have seen a picture of it online. And I don't know whether it comes into Lego the Hobbit in any way or not. I haven't played far enough through to Right. But it seems an inconvenient thing for people to adapt, I guess, because they leave it out. Yeah. They tend to leave out that, and they tend to leave out Bjorn. And next, Bilbo wakes up to find himself wrapped in spiderweb with a huge spider about to eat him. And by huge, I mean... bigger than a large dog... Maybe even as big as a small pony. And the spider, it has a mouth with huge fangs. Not fangs like a spider, but fangs like a mammal. It's got, like, furry sideburns and a beard and two eyes. Only two eyes. And furry antennae. And spiders have more than two eyes. The number's variable, but they have more than two. They don't have antennae, they do have pedipalps, mm-hmm. which kind of function similarly. So yeah. maybe I'm splitting hairs. But... It's interesting looking. And Bilbo cuts himself free and he kills the spider with his sword. Now, once again, this is bloodless, and the spider whirls around like a kaleidoscope before disappearing to show that it is dead. Similarly to the Great Goblin. And Bilbo calls the sword Sting. And he searches for the dwarves, and they're wrapped in spider web, and a spider is poking them. They'll make fine eating when they've hung a bit. So, yes, the spider is talking. Right. Now, I think the closest there is to an explanation of the spiders having speech is in Lord of the Rings, it is noted that they're the descendants of. Shelob, the spider, who is not a normal spider. Not that Shelob has ever seen talking either. Right. Um, I don't know if Tolkien was trying to... Like, maybe he didn't want to retcon the spiders fully, but realized that this, this was not a normal thing to write spiders doing. Right. And in the live-action version, they make the understanding of the spider speech to be an effect of the ring because the spiders are evil. So, Bilbo puts on his ring, and he throws a large rock at the spider, killing it, and he frees the dwarves, who are still weak from the spider venom, but they're able to follow him. The spiders give chase, and Bilbo tells the dwarves to run ahead to the wood elves' clearing, which is weird because they made no mention of a wood elf clearing before. In the book, you know, it's explained they are trying to get to the wood elves clearing and the wood elves keep disappearing. But this is just like, oh, wood elves clearing with no background to what they're even talking about. Right. 
and he will hold off the spiders. He says, I will do the stinging. And Bilbo puts on the ring, and only his sword is visible. He kills two more spiders, Lazy Lob, Addercop, and Sting just flashes around the screen all uh, crazily bright. Yeah. It's implied that many spiders were killed, and the other spiders flee. Bilbo returns, and he finds the Wood Elves have captured the dwarves, who didn't really struggle because they were weakened from the spider bites. And the elves are weird-looking. Really weird-looking. Okay, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, or even a few memes from Lord of the Rings, you've seen Orlando Bloom as Legolas, or you've seen Galadriel. They're pretty. They look like models. They got long hair. They're... Yeah. These elves look like skinny goblins. They're... They're nothing pretty about them. Nothing pretty, really freaky looking. They're kind of blue, gray, really lanky. They have the blonde hair. Probably because Tolkien specifically mentioned that their king had the blonde hair. And their... Their faces, they don't look like a person face at all. They don't have, like, the big mouth fang thing like the goblins do, but they don't look human either. And they're all wearing these brown tunics that show a lot of leg. And they're wearing round green, like, canteen bags. Those are cool. I like that. And green hats that appear to be crested with leaves, and they're carrying spears and torches. Oh, yeah, we were discussing if somebody tried to cosplay that, would it even be recognized? Like, at a con? I don't think so. It, it would have to be a con just for... The oh. Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings, and all that fandom. And even then, they probably they probably not know. Yes. And uh, Bilbo, he puts on his ring and follows them. Oh, I should have mentioned um, about the spiders. On the soundtrack, there's a song called "Old Fat Spider." that's omitted from the film entirely, maybe because it sounds a little too spider-friendly for what's going on here. Um, but it's it's obviously themed about this. It calls the spider an adder cop and uh, um, old Tom Naughty, which is from the book. And it's just about this uh, old fat spider that uh, can't see too good and shooing a fly to his web so he can eat. Because uh, he can't catch anybody. Right. And yeah, clearly this doesn't fit that well with what's actually going on, which I guess is why the song was cut. But yeah. it can be found on Glenn Return's YouTube account if you want to hear it. They come to the palace of the Elf King at the very eastern edge of the forest. And it's underground with like a stone doorway and a hill. And the door appears to open and close by magic, which is how it was in the book. And the inside of the elven palace is all like carved and cut from stone, and the ceiling looks like a church cathedral with a balcony. And the elves' king, Thranduil, although he's never uh, mentioned by name, he's even weirder looking than the others. Like his hands and feet almost look like bird feet or tree roots, sort of both. He's got a green cloak. He's got long blonde hair that's bald on top. And he's uh, got a crown with berries and leaves. And he's got a staff with some sort of red thing on the top. 
we weren't able to tell what it was. For some context, this is Legolas's dad. This is Pretty Boy Legolas's dad. <sighs> Maybe he takes after his mom more. <laughs> not that you see her either. Um, not that you can even tell if any of the elves are um, men or women. They all look about the same, except for Thranduil looks stranger than the rest. Yeah. Uh, And Thranduil has a very intense German accent. And he asks, why did you attack my people? And so Thorin says, we came to beg because we were starving. And Thranduil asks, well, why were you in the forest in the first place? Well, that's our business. So the dwarves are taken to prison cells until they feel like talking. And... Bilbo, who is still unnoticed because he's got the ring on, he thinks the treasure is big enough to share with the elves and they would make valuable allies against Smog. I disagree that Thranduil would have uh, willingly wanted to go mess with Smog, especially to help dwarves. Right. They don't like each other and Thranduil is staying in the woods to himself for a reason. I don't think he really wants to go pick a fight with a dragon. Um, the prison part of the cave, it looks gloomier. It is prison. It's kind of got like a green tinge to the stone. And Bilbo, he's free to go where he wants, but he's got no way to get the dwarves out. He gets an idea. Um, the elves and the men of Long Lake, you know, they have trade, and there's deliveries of fine wine that are sent up the river. Now, I should note, I don't think the wine came up the river. I've looked at the maps. The country that the wine that the elves like comes from, um, Darwinian, that is the other opposite way of the river. That's um, part of the land of Rune. And so I think it goes down the river, down the river running to the elven palace, and then the elves send the barrels on once they're empty. Yeah. I think they're trading other products with the men of the lake. You know, maybe produce, fish, something. Mm-hmm. But they say it's sent up the river from Lake Town, so I guess that's how it is in this version. And the wood elves enjoy their wine. The barrels were soon drained. Uh, I should uh, point out that wine has to be really strong to... Um, particularly make elves drunk enough to fall asleep. Um, or, you know, you know, as what happens, elves are seen kicking the empty barrels of the trapdoor into the river, and the rolling down the hole song begins. And it's a combination of that song from the book and Down the Dark Swift Stream. So once again, two songs combined. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Bilbo steals the keys from a drunk guard who's asleep. He was, uh, drinking the really good wine that's meant for the king. Yeah. Which I don't think you're supposed to do that. <laughs> I'd like to try their wine. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. And, uh... So he gets the dwarves into the barrels, but you don't actually show him putting the dwarves into the barrels. It just next 
goes ahead to Bilbo riding on top of a barrel on the river. And the dwarves are complaining inside their barrels. I never promised to burgle you the first cl- first class accommodations. <laughs> and you get your first look at the lonely mountain in the distance. And Bilbo thinks to himself, I'd come far and through many adventures to see it. And now I did not like the look of it at all. Now from that view anyway, it didn't look that tall or anything. Just... It was just by look, by itself. Look, it is the Lonely Mountain. It just looked kind of dark and desolate looking. Yeah. You also get your first view of Lake Town. It's very populated looking town, built on the lake itself on pylons. Everything's wood. And the shore is rocky with like grass above, and a bridge leads from the town to the shore. And humans live there. So men of Lake Town, human men of Lake Town. Right. They're descendants of the men of Dale, and you see men using long rakes to collect the empty barrels. And Lonely Mountain from this angle looks like a tall spire. And they open a barrel and a bedraggled looking Thorn is inside. I am Thorn, grandson of King Under the Mountain. I have returned, and then he looks like he just passed out. And then the stream shall run and gladness song begins. Now that one also, it is not on the Glen Returns pay, um, channel. There are different uh, adaptations of like other people doing covers of the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there may even be one that's it's under the Mountain King Returns, same, same song. Yeah. And from this view of Lake Town, you can actually see it's circular with a large space of open water in the middle, which means the town is not as large as it first appeared, because a lot of it's just water. Mm. And the houses are mostly two-story buildings, and the design looks later than medieval. It it does not look like, not that I'm an expert, but it looks like it's just a later design on the buildings. Right. And a man speaks, uh, Hail, Thorn Oakenshield, I am Bard the Guardsman, and we are, we are honored by your presence. Bard has a quiver of arrows over his back. I think it's Bard the Bowman. Right. Your grandfather lives in our songs and legends. What help we can offer will be yours. We trust your gratitude. The dragon smog is killed. And your kingdom is regained. Uh, Bard is... Up. Even though you couldn't see him holding it before, he's holding a longbow, a good one. Mm-hmm. I mean, here I am, like, judging the bows that I see on, in movies. It'd be like, that one looks like it would shoot really well. That one just looks pretty. Uh, and just so you know, Sarah has a longbow. I do have a longbow. Definitely, uh... Doesn't get a lot of chances to use it, but she has it. And it's definitely of a weaker uh, power than this one. The DVD release... Um, has the soundtrack issue again where Bard says the dragon smog is killed twice and it is fixed on HBO. 
They all cheer, and after some rest and food, they go on with supplies from Lake Town, and Bilbo thinks they may be going to a terrible end. It's rough going up the mountain. It's barren and steep, and Bilbo notices the smell of dragon, which he hasn't smelled before. And Balin thinks the inside of the mountain must be filled with this foul reek. Um, have we discussed this before? What we think? Tr I'm sure we did. What we think dragon smells like? I imagine like dirty lizard cage stink with like hot metal. Yeah, there are. Alligator pond, uh, <laughs> uh, filters, um, sort of a combination of lots of things. The internet has had some interesting debates you know, related to Westeros about what dragons might mm -hmm. smell like, but I guess that's all up to our own twisted imaginations. That's right. <laughs> So Smog is sleeping inside. I still don't fully get how that works. Like a long-term hibernation, does he have to go out and eat? People ever notice livestock disappearing? It's supposed to be nobody's seen him for years, and yet, like, is he gone? Is he dead? Yeah. But no, they seem pretty like, sure he's sleeping inside. They don't question... Whether Smog is even still around. They spend their days searching for the secret door, and they find the little stone bay sheltered area described in the book. And Bilbo is inscribing the final pages of the log. I'm not sure why that's final pages, because there's more to the story. But right. And Bilbo says his only companion is an annoying bird cracking snails. And then he remembers the words Stand by the grey stone where the thrush knocks and the last light of the setting sun will shine upon the keyhole. And the light from the sun is being concentrated through a hole in a nearby rock pinnacle to shine directly on the spot. Bilbo wakes the others. Even the thrush is watching. And Bilbo hurries the one to use the key before it is gone again. The doorway opens to a passage into the mountain. And the thorn says to Bilbo that the time has come for him to do the task he was brought for. He must earn his reward. And yes. reminds him of the contract. And Bilbo isn't happy with this. Points out he's already gotten them out of two messes that, that weren't in the contract. And Bilbo asks who will come with him. And none would go. Though actually... The thrush does. The thrush goes with him. And in the book, Balin went with him part of the way, but he doesn't hear. Yeah. And Thorne says, you're the burglar. Go down and burgle something. Then <laughs> they do. They wish him good luck. And Bilbo says he's beginning to trust his luck more than in the old days. And he's traveling down the dark tunnel. He's questioning himself why he's even there. He has no use for dragon treasures. And he sees the glow ahead. And he feels the... Um, heat of the dragon as he gets close, and the thrush is with him. Now, I should um, say the thrush is a reference to the legend of Sigurd from the Poetic Edda, um, where they um, slay the dragon Fafnir, and um, yeah, there's a thrush involved in that story. You know, Tolkien was big into these. Uh, Norse legends, and they did a lot of influence on his writing. Mm -hmm. 
Bilbo thinks of his chance to go back, but to go forward would be the bravest thing he has done. Whatever happens after is nothing. Here he fights his real battle, and he hears the dragon snore, and he looks into the chamber. Smog is asleep on a pile of treasure. He snores loudly, and he's red. He's got ears like a cat, um, huge wings, and he's got both four legs and he's got wings. Um, he has sort of beard tendrils under his chin, a forked tail, three, three forks on it, a serpentine neck, and a sort of feline head with big fangs, and he's got hair all down his back. I call him Cat Smog. <laughs> I'm like, live action one is Chicken Smog, and this is Cat Smog. And he's got fur on his face, and Bilbo puts on the ring. Smog's eyes have a sort of like a searchlight effect. Yeah, they're like two spotlights shining together, like all over, like. But you can't. He can't see Bilbo with the ring on. And uh, he wakes. You know, well, thief, I smell you, feel your air, and I hear your breath. Come on, help yourself. There's plenty and to spare. And Bilbo tells uh, Smog, the Magnificent, as he calls him, that he isn't there for treasure. He only wants to have a look at him and see if he was truly as great as the tales say. He did not believe them. Smog asks if he believes them now. And then Bilbo, he says, they fall utterly short of reality. Oh, Smog, the chiefest and greatest of calamities. And Smog says, you got nice manners for a thief and a liar. And Smog says that Bilbo knows him, but he doesn't remember smelling him before. And who are you and where do you come from? Oh, that's... That's true, Smog does not recognize Hobbit smell, and um, it later comes out you know, from Tolkien that that's um, a major reason that Gandalf brought him, was like, it would help with the stealth to bring... I know, a species that's totally unfamiliar to smog, so he won't, you know, smell dwarf instantly, or... Although, remember in the book, he does smell dwarf anyway, because Bilbo's been living with dwarves for months. Yeah. And, uh, Bilbo tries to riddle with smog to, you know, buy time and to... Um, keep him kind of confused, so he says... I come from under the hill, and, un- and under the hill and over the hill is my paths led, and through the air I am he that walks unseen. Oh, I'm guessing you might uh, get what these might refer to. And Smog asks if he makes riddles, and what is his name? I am the lucky number, the web cutter, the spider stinger. And Smog says, lovely titles. I am he that drowns his friends and draws them alive again from the water. I am the guest of eagles, the ring winner and luck wearer, the clue finder and the barrel rider. Smog takes note of barrel rider. Uh, Bilbo maybe shouldn't have said that. Yeah, because Lake Town is close enough by that he knows about the barrels. And Smog says he has guessed the riddle. You are one of those miserable, tub-thumping lake men. You and your town shall pay dearly for this intrusion. And Smog drips hot saliva that looks molten on the gold. 
He accuses the lake man of intention to steal his treasure, and Bilbo says he isn't there for gold alone. Also revenge, because his success has made him some bitter enemies. And Smog goes on his long rant. Revenge, I am Smog. I kill where I wish. I am strong, strong, strong. My armor is like tenfold shields. My teeth are like swords. My claws spears. The shock of my tail, a thunderbolt. My wings are a hurricane, and my breath, death. And he just starts breathing fire. Bilbo is obviously really shaken by this. But yes, he has heard that dragons are vulnerable underneath, especially in the region of the chest. <clears throat> now, I should say that for some earlier dragons in Tolkien's world, um, like earlier Morgoth-era dragons, that's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Um, but Smog says that Bilbo has heard wrong. He is armored both above and below. And Bilbo questions that, so Smog rolls over and shows him. Bilbo admires aloud, but to himself he notes the missing scale. Old fool, there's a patch in the hollow of your left breast as bare as a snail out of its shell. This is another moment that the DVD soundtrack glitches and doesn't say the whole thing, but it is corrected on the HBO version. And the thrush witnesses of this also, which is important. Smog seems to notice, even though Bilbo didn't say it out loud, and says, what's this, more riddles? And Bilbo says he can't detain Smog any longer and his riddling is done. A fine burglar takes expert catching. And then, I guess he was showing off. He removes the ring and reveals himself and Smog sees Bilbo with a stolen cup. Smog is enraged and Bilbo flees back up the tunnel. Smog sends flames after him. And Bilbo barely escapes. He's so uh, smoldering a little, and the dwarves are wondering if they should have gone with him to be roasted alive. When Bilbo gets back, and they give him three cheers, that Bilbo wants a more pragmatic salute, extinguish me. And Bilbo uses a cloak to pat out the fire. Sorry, Thorn uses a cloak to pat out the fire. Oh, I never actually saw fire on him. It was smoke. It was... It yeah, it's not like smoke. it's not like his backside was like on fire. Right. <coughs> just as, and Thorin asks what he uh, burgled, and Bilbo takes out the cup. But just as the dwarves are admiring it, the mountain starts shaking. Smog is out flying, and quickly Bilbo and the dwarves they hide in the secret passage. And Smog is raging about Barrel Rider and thieving Lake Men, and he crushes in the side of the mountain and partially blocks the secret door. In the book, the entire door is crushed in, but this is a big enough space that really any one of them could have gotten That's out. That's how it certainly looked, yeah. And Bilbo realizes that the lake men are doomed, and he tells the thrush to go find Bard and tell about Smog's missing scale. Now, I don't know how Bilbo knew that the bird could talk to Bard. I mean, there in the book, there's some explanation of, oh, the men of the line of Dale, some of them did thrush language, and it's later kind of revealed that 
if you're born into that family, you naturally know that. But mm. none of this is explained here. Right. And the lake men are noticing a strangely warm breeze, and someone sees a flame in the sky, which is smog rapidly approaching. Bard realizes it is the dragon, and he calls for the bridges to be cut. To arms, to arms. Now, in the book, it is noted that cutting the bridge um, reduced the amount of damage to the town because Smog didn't have a place to land, but I'm not exactly sure how a place to land could have possibly made it worse than it was. It really didn't look like there was any place to land. And it looked like, to me, cutting the bridges would mean, okay... People couldn't get out. People couldn't get out unless they went for the water. And the town's wooden. Yes, it's built on the lake as precaution against the dragon, but it just doesn't seem like it would help much. It'd be one thing, like, we were discussing what could even possibly have actually worked against the dragon design-wise. Yeah. And the best we could come up with is if it was underground and the opening was too small for the dragon to fit its head into. But nobody around there seems to have any such uh, dragon-proof dwelling, so... Yeah. Smog is burning the town, and archers are shooting at him, but the arrows aren't doing anything. Some men are jumping, falling into the lake while on fire. And the thrush brings the message to Bard, who... um, understands its language. Yeah. And Bard sees the missing scale, and he gets out a large arrow. It is larger than a normal arrow, but it's not a full scorpion bolt like they show in the live action. It's still something that he could have fired from the longbow. And he says, Black Arrow, you've never failed me, and I've always recovered you. I had you from my father, and he from of old. If ever you came from the forges of the true king under the mountain... Go now and speed well. And he shoots Smog directly in the missing scale. And the, so he hit a flying dragon in like one missing scale space. A tiny spot from quite a distance. In a moving dragon. You know, while everything's on fire around him. Yeah. And the dragon falls, thrashing and churning up the water. The smog is dead. He's sunk in the lake. That probably impacted the fishing negatively for quite a while. I like it better with um, smog being taken down by a nearly normal arrow. Yeah. Well, yes, it came from a dwarven forge, but it's still an almost normal-sized arrow. It It's supposed to be, oh, uh, almost as if by chance, you know, this... You know, one warrior took down a dragon with an arrow and, you know, maybe put it to luck, maybe put it to providence, as is implied. It kind of takes away some of the meaning if they shoot down the dragon with a special scorpion bolt specially designed to shoot dragons with, like they have in the Peter Jackson films. Just in my opinion. 
Not that shooting a dragon with one of those should be all that easy either. Um, looking at you, Peter Jackson films. Looking at you, Game of Thrones. And I'm sorry if I dropped any kind of spoiler. The the Misty Mountains, uh, more verses begin. And the dwarves are celebrating in the gold. One dwarf says, now I am king, while he's goofing around. And Thorin takes it seriously and says there is only one king, and that's him. And the dwarves start cheering Thorin. So the gold has clearly overcome the dwarves' common sense, whatever they had. Uh, riches will do that. And Bilbo points out that Smog might return, and Thorin says, oh, Smog is gone for a week. He thinks he's moved on to greener pastures. So they've been in there longer than they were in the book, where it's yeah. more like three days. And Bilbo says they need to find the way out and find out for sure. And the map shows the way to the entrance. So they, they follow Bilbo. And the entrance is a wide door with a river flowing through it. Which, good job on that because that is very close to what I imagined reading the book. And they see lights. And Thorin asks if the entire valley floor is populated by giant fireflies. I mean, I said before that this version of Thorin is not the smartest Thorin. But it's it's campfires. He says, nonsense. Only an army would need that many fires. Yeah, about that. There were a lot of campfires. (laughs) It is, in fact, two armies. Bard has come dressed for battle... And yet still with bare legs in the winter because it's an animated uh, Lord of the Rings film, right? Gotta be doing that before uh, the famous Bare Legs Aragorn came along. But <laughs> So he's armored for battle, except on his legs. And... He explains that he killed the dragon and the people made him king, but the town was destroyed. They need to be rebuilt and they need gold for that. And Bilbo's thanking and congratulating him, says there's plenty to share. Now Thorin says the gold belongs to dwarves alone. And Bard points out the gold wouldn't be theirs if Smog still lived. And Thorin says, a technicality. Now, this isn't brought up, but yes, some of that would have been the Lake Men's gold because Smog uh, burned out Dale first, and he would have collected the gold from that, too, and that that's Lake Men gold. Right. Now, how would he have collected it? I'm not actually sure. That that part kind of has me, like, wondering. Oh, maybe he didn't. <laughs> but I thought... I thought he had somehow, but yeah, yeah. it's not like he's got hands. Right. Like inside the mountain, like maybe he can push it around till it makes a pile. Yeah. <laughs> and 
The elf king has also brought an army. He says his people have suffered greatly from the dragon over the years and demand retribution. I'm actually kind of doubtful of that. Uh, they're often they're not burned out forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think the dragon is really impacting the wood elves all that much. And they will meet tomorrow at sunrise on the field of battle. Bilbo is still in favor of sharing the treasure, but Thorne won't have it. And then the In the Valley Ha Ha reprise song begins, which in the book, this is in the return journey. This is when they get back to Rivendell. But this, they put it here. Yeah. Um, the armies of elves and men are shown, and Thorin and the twer- the dwarves, Bilbo, they're trying on armor. Bilbo finds it uncomfortable. Thorin said it was made in the forges of his grandfather and will carry them to victory. The whole thing with the mythful shirt is left out. Yeah. Bilbo says be bothering confess to get victory. His only hope is to be taken prisoner as soon as possible. Um, Thorin says those are the words of a coward, and Bilbo points out that he saved the dwarves time and again and flushed out smog while they cringed behind. And also, they are hopelessly outnumbered. You know, there's 14 of them and two whole armies against them. Right. They're not going to win. And Thorin's like, you don't see us cringing now. And Bilbo's kind will never understand war, which is pretty true. Hobbits yeah. are not warlike. Right. There have been times hobbits went to war from necessity, but it's not something they like. It's not in their nature. And Balin came back from his lookout. He addresses Thorin as great king under the mountain. Bilbo's like, it's only Thorin. Balin is now a general. And uh, he's spotted an army of dwarves approaching. They're Thorin's cousin Dane from the Iron Hills. And now they're not outnumbered. A battle of three armies. I'm still not sure about them not being outnumbered. One army of dwarves, one army of... Hmm, I don't think the army of men was all that big, though, so maybe it is pretty even. Yeah. The armies meet on the plain, and uh, the men are saying, scurvy dwarves, thieving dwarves, kill them. The elves are saying, chop them, take their heads. And the dwarves are saying, kill the men, kill the elves, save the gold for ourselves. And that part also skips on the DVD soundtrack, but is left in the HBO version. Mm -hmm. I think there just was like a bad copy of the soundtrack on the DVD release, and I don't know how they got a better one, but they didn't. Um, Bilbo says, personally, I'd rather be back in Hobbiton. Oh, Bilbo's the smart one there, yes. And an old man is seen in the middle of the battlefield. It is Gandalf, but no one recognizes him. Thorin actually says, move, you old fool. Gandalf turns on, old fool. Bilbo recognizes him. And Gandalf would speak with the kings, an army of goblins... With claim to the treasure is coming from the north. I don't see how the goblins could have claim to the treasure. I can see them wanting to claim the treasure, but right. I don't see how any of it's theirs. Yeah. That's goblin code. They see it, they take it. That's their claim to the treasure. Sure enough. 
Um, you see the goblins coming, armed with battle axes and riding wolves. And suddenly the kings are making an alliance and shaking hands, and Thorn is, says, Oh great elf king, my truest friend and ally, we must join our forces against this common scourge. And Thranduil says, Of course, O oh noble king under the mountain, your people are like brothers unto mine. Sure, they're both full of it. <laughs> and uh, Bard says all of his men and their weapons are as one with yours, and together we will vanquish the foul foe. Together. And Bilbo says, Thorn is correct. I simply do not understand war. And then Bilbo ditches his armor, which... Uh, doesn't seem the time to do that. Even if you don't want to fight, you don't want to be easier to hit either. The battle begins. Bomber is stabbed. You don't actually quite see it. You see him make a face, and you know what happened. But mm-hmm. and scenes from the battle are shown. Um, goblins and wolves. Um, being killed as sometimes others, but all totally bloodlessly. And you see like little dots and spears on the screen and dust kicked up as like a distant shot. And Bilbo is on the sidelines, noting it's now a battle of four armies. And the kings meet together again. Thranduil says the cause is hopeless, the goblins are too powerful... But Bard says they can still spill much of their blood before this is finished. And Thorin um, says, if this is going to be their last moments, let us live them with honor. But Gandalf, he says, it's not, all is not lost. The goblins have many enemies. And there's another army on the way. The eagles are seen coming. Bilbo notices, oh, it's five armies now. Mr. Bilbo Baggins, enough is enough. And he puts on the ring and disappears. And next thing, eagles are picking up goblins and wolves, lifting them high and dropping them. And this turns the tide of the battle against the goblins. And they're defeated. After the battle, Bomber goes to Bilbo and collapses injured. Bilbo has, like, a slight wound from hitting his head. And so he was knocked out for most of this uh, battle. And he asks Bomber what happened. He just says, we won, and then dies. That's sad. That is sad. And this uh, killed off more dwarves than the actual book did. Mm. The book, three of the dwarves die, not counting any unnamed um, soldiers who were in Dane's army. Don't know how many of them. Mm-hmm. And you see bodies all over the battlefield. Nothing, like, gory, but you can tell what it is. Right. Um, Gandalf has his arm in the sling, so even Gandalf took a slight injury. And Bilbo asks how many of the original 13 are left, and Gandalf answers seven. Bilbo asks him about Thorin, and he says soon we'll be only six. Thorin is dying in the tent, and um, he says his farewells to Bilbo. He wants to part in friendship. He'd take back some things he said. And Bilbo says the things he would take back also. 
And Thor says, does it take this to make us see each other? And, um, you're no coward, my friend. I'm sorry I so named you. And Bilbo's like, that's not important. And Thor says, I was wrong. You did understand war. It was I who did not until now. And, and Bilbo says, farewell, king under the mountain. And then uh, Thor uh, does the famous... <laughs> Line, child of the kindly west, I have come to know if more of us valued your ways, food and cheer above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world, but sad or merry, I must leave it now. Farewell. And Bilbo says farewell to Thorin, and um, then Thorin passes, and they lay the sword over his body. Um, Orcrist, I think. Yeah. Bilbo, so... Yeah, in the book, Thorin, Keeley, and Feely died, but none of the other original dwarves did, and now I'm not sure which ones made it, but... Right. Like, almost half of them didn't survive this. Yeah. And Thorin is returning to the Shire with Gandalf, um, the implication being that this is a much safer journey back. And and Gandalf... Oh, Bilbo took only two bags of gold, and Gandalf says that his share was greater. But Bilbo says it's all his pony could carry, and it's more than he will ever need. Um, Now, the thing is, Bilbo was rich. He was born rich. So, the... I, I get it. Bilbo's not greedy. He doesn't need all the treasure hoard... But he also never actually had trouble with money. Right. I don't think he ever had to actually work. I mean, besides what he wanted to do, oh, I'm going to cook another cake in the kitchen. Yeah. He liked the putter in his hobbit hole. He didn't do his own garden work. I'm imagining how hard... a less well-to-do hobbit would have to work to keep their six plenteous meals a day. Well, you'd be the gardener for Bilbo. Yeah. And Gandalf says, but you have other prizes. And Bilbo's like, oh, the ring, oh yes, I'm going to keep it as a souvenir and a glass box on the mantle. And Gandalf laughs at that and says, and so the prophecies of old come true, smog is gone, and the goblins driven away, the dwarves and elves live in peace, and the men thrive, multiply, and build a civilization. And uh, Bilbo was amused by prophecies, and Gandalf says, what? And Bilbo's like, I had a hand in all of that. And Gandalf says, surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies, because you helped bring them about. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit? So this is... Very similar to the same uh, line in the book. And it's basically you know, Bilbo's luck and the dwarves' luck and very, uh, like, oh yes, they happen to get to the mountain on the right day to get the sun hitting that place in the rock. And Bard just happened to get a good shot at the dragon's missing scale. And Bilbo got the ring instead of somebody or something else getting it. It's it's the hint of either like fate or maybe divine providence. Right. Um 
it's, it wasn't just luck or even just Bilbo's cleverness, even though they, you know, helped. Mm -hmm. You are... They arrive at the Shire. You are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you, but you're only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all, and Bilbo's is, thank goodness. The next thing he's in, Bag End, he's reading a book. Yes, you will return to your home, place your souvenir ring on your mantle, publish your story, which you believe has come to its end, and inside Bag End, you see the ring in its glass case on the mantle. And Bilbo says, what do you mean believe? And Gandalf said, it has come to an end. It has, hasn't it? And Bilbo has his book. There and back again, A Hobbit's Holiday. And Gandalf says, oh, Bilbo Baggins, if you really understood that ring, as someday members of your family not yet born will, then you'd realize that this story has not ended, but it's only beginning, and the ring is shown in the case, and the credits roll. So, clearly they're trying to bridge it to Lord of the Rings. Right. But Gandalf didn't know what it was yet. I mean, he knew it existed, but he didn't know how significant it was, how dangerous it was, who it really belonged to. Right. Um, he would have been very much more freaked out if he did know already. <laughs> As we will get to when... Um, we cover the Shadow of the Past chapter in Fellowship of the Ring. Gandalf may have had whatever suspicions, but he didn't know yet. So, yeah, that's uh, the Rankin-Bass adaptation. I love it. Yeah, it was good. It's quite different from the more modern version that, you know, most of us know. It's what I grew up on when I was a little kid in the late 80s and early 90s. And as I've said, in, in some ways it is, it feels more like Tolkien. It, it feels like what I imagined reading the books, reading the, the first book. Mm -hmm. The the newer movies they they have their good points and we will talk about them when we get to it. Um, there certainly are some you know good things for them too that this doesn't have. But I do like this. And um, now for the credits, the producers Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. Animation director Toruhara, animation coordinator also Toruhara. Animation Supervisor Tsuguyaki Kubo. Um, I am sorry if I mispronounce any of the Japanese names. Um, character Design Lester Abrams and Tsuguyuki Kubo. Background Design Mikuro Kishida. Animation Direction Katsushisa Yamato and Koichi Sasaki, animators Kazuyuki Kabayoshi, Kabayoshi, Todakatsu Yoshida, Hidemi Kubo, Yukiyoshi Hani or Hain, I think it's Hani, Hidetoshi 
Kakiko, Kazuko Ito, Ito, and sound effects by Tom Clack. Sound recording, John Curcio, Dave Iveland, and Bob Elder. Choral director, Lois Winter. Associate producer, Masaki Ayazuka. Um, Bilbo Baggins, voiced by Orson Bean. Balan and Guahir by Don Messick. Gandalf by John... Houston, I don't know if he's in anything else, but uh, there's a meme that oh Gandalf is real and uh, it's because he's kind of a Gandalfy looking guy and uh, so is Ian McKellen and so it's like, the meme is like oh Gandalf is real and they're both him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Smog is uh, Richard Boone. Um. Paul Freeze as Bomber and as Bill the Troll. Cyril Richard as Elrond. John Stephenson as Bard, the Great Goblin, and Dory. Jack de, de-, de- Leon as Biffer, Bofer, um, some of the elves. Gloin, Oin, Ori, a spider. Keely, Philly. Bert the Troll. Um. <laughs> uh, I'm not I'm not sure what I wrote here I did not make it legible but he voiced a lot of different characters in this um, Thor and his Hans Conrad Gollum is Brother Theodore the Balladeer is Glenn Yarbrough um, Balin and Tom the Troll as Tom Messy, Otto Preminger as Thranduil, and Thrall Ravenscroft as um, Bolg and uh, part of the Goblin Chorus. Now, Thrall Ravenscroft is famous as Tony the Tiger. The cornflakes, they're great. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's the there's the credits. Uh, a lot of uh, Japanese animation. Yeah, what's well, what's interesting is that the Hobbit, uh, uh, Rankin Bass, like worked with, uh, like Toei during the early years, and like they outsourced talent, and eventually, uh, what was it? I think eventually it was it Disney bought them, and half of like their animation like became like. Um, what was it? It was like uh, Disney Japan, and then they branched off and started Studio Japan. Like, there's a whole bunch of. And I that's like even part of it. I probably messed up the history. There's like so much crazy history with the animation in that, and there were a lot of that. And it's Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a lot of uh, depictions in that. It's like very anime-ish, and it's very, you know, it's it's you know. Uh, I don't have a solid source to quote on this, but I did read somewhere that the reason why the elves are as uh, different looking as they are here as opposed to the pretty model looking elves and other um, Tolkien 
is that it's is that these are based on a Japanese concept of what elves would look like. Oh, if this is true, um, Japan is certainly not the um, only ones to have more uh, disturbing-looking traditional elves. <laughs> and Tolkien has also influenced more elf depictions now with having more of them be pretty looking. Um, do you have any final remarks on the movie? No, I, other than I recommend, I recommend uh, everybody listen to it, watch it. Yeah, I greatly recommend this. Uh, find it on DVD or if you have HBO, find it there. If you type in The Hobbit, it should come up. It won't necessarily be the first Hobbit that comes up, but it should show up. And, of course, we will have more Game of Thrones, and we're going to also do The Shadow of the Past from The Fellowship of the Ring, and we will continue to do the different film adaptations of Lord of the Rings. Thank you for listening to Cast Into the Fire podcast, and have a good evening. Bye.